we've been in this sermon series uh, for a couple weeks, excited to, to get back to it. I've got this, I don't know about you guys, but I have this phenomenon that happens in my house that uh, maybe I have a feeling happens in your house. Part of it is because I have like 84 kids and so it just happens a lot in my house. But I've got this weird phenomenon um, and I took a picture of it so you could kind of see what I'm talking about. I, this is our laundry room. This is on the wall in our laundry room. And this is the place where, lo- where like single socks go, okay? You can't find the match to the sock. And so we look around and it makes its way to the wall and we put it on these little strings. And then, you know, whenever the clothes come out, you find another loose one and you try to match it up. This is the, the game that we play. And guys, these are all of the like unmatched socks in my house. I need to start a singles ministry for my socks, all right? Because it's like, it's getting brutal in my, in, at my house. Um, it's just weird, right? Like, where do these socks go? It's just insane how this happens. Um, have you ever lost something that's important to you? Think, think about it. I'll just give you a second to think about it. You, have you lost uh, your keys? You've lost your, uh, you know, like an important document, like your passport or something. Um, have you ever lost your wedding ring? Anybody do that? Um, I lost my wedding ring on my honeymoon. Yeah, on my honeymoon. No joke. I was, we were on my honeymoon, and then we just go like out, you know, snorkeling a little bit. I come back in from the water. I just like lay down on the, on the, the thing, and Christy's laying next to me, and she like reaches for my hand, and she does one of these things for reaches for my hand, and then she's like, where's your ring? And I was like, oh! You know, it's gone. And so we spent hours just retracing our steps. We, we got in, you know, like people we didn't even know, like, hey, are you going out snorkeling? Can you look for a ring? And everybody was just sifting through the sand underneath the water, and we never found it. Um, yeah, we, we, you, you've, you've all had experiences like this, right? You can't find something that's really, really important. Um, you know, you can't find if you've lost maybe um, a wallet. Um, maybe you've lost a kid. Has that ever happened to you? All right. Yeah, of course. See, the people, the people who don't lose kids are the people who don't have kids. Because if you're going to have kids, at some point, you're going to lose one of them. Because they're like ninjas. I mean, they just like, they disappear, and they go all over, and then you can't find them. We've all, you probably got lost at some point when you were like in a department store. I know my kids easily get lost in department stores because they love to go inside the, the clothing racks on the inside. You know how you used to do that too, right? And you hide inside there, and then we like go off, and then you're like, mommy, daddy, you know? And you think the rapture happened, you know? You're all alone. Um, I'm, I'm really good at, I'll show you how good I am at losing a child. Watch this. So I, I put uh, Dawson, I put him to, to down for his nap the other day. All right, this is just this last week. I put him down for his nap in our bedroom in the pack and play. So he's down for his nap. And then I come in uh, like a half an hour later because I got to get something from my closet. And I look in the pack and play and like, and he's not in the pack and play. Pack and play, he's gone. I'm so good. I'm like varsity at losing kids. I lose them while they're, while they're napping, all right? That's how good I am. Um, and then I noticed, I noticed something that, like some little limbs coming out from under the mattress. Let's go to the next picture. And so I lift up the mattress, and he literally just like shoved himself underneath the mattress in the pack and play. And his face is probably like resting on like on a metal bar down there, you know? Um... Here's, here's what we all know about losing stuff, because we've all lost stuff, but here's what you know, is you can tell how much someone cares about something when they lose it, right? 
You can tell how much somebody cares about something when they lose something, right? You lose a wallet, you care. You're going after it. You lose a kid, you're not going to sleep. You're, you're not going to stop, right? Um, my, kid, my, my, aunt, or my, uh, my father-in-law uh, went to Costa Rica not too long ago and brought home these like Costa Rican whistles, bird whistles, to my kids and gave them to my kids. And I was like, thank you so much for that wonderful gift of the, bird, the Nicaraguan bird whistles. It's great. And, uh, and so they had them for a few weeks, and then they lost them. And they came to Christy and I, and they were like, we lost our bird whistles. And do you know what Christy and I did? Nothing. We did absolutely nothing. We were like, oh, so sorry. And then we threw like a little party Well, when they went away. Because if you don't care about something, then you're not going to look for it when you lose it. If you care about something, um, you're going to go to the ends of the earth to try to find it. So Jesus is going to tell uh, a series of three parables that I'm going to read this morning. And it's uh, from Luke chapter 15. It's actually maybe, uh, especially one of these parables, is probably the most famous parable that Jesus told. And in these parables, we're going to learn something. We're going to learn something so, so important for us to get this morning. We're going to see how God feels about lost people. We're going to get a major insider clue as to how God views men and women who are lost. Guys, this is big. I don't know what you believe about God. I don't know. I, don't, I know some of your stories. I don't know a lot of your stories. And I don't know what sort of like a picture of a God that you have when, when you came in here today. I don't know what you were taught. I don't know what kind of church maybe you went, went to when you were younger. Or maybe it, was, maybe it was no church. Maybe it was just kind of what you picked up from your parents or from TV or whatever. But there are many, many people that think that what God thinks about them is that they're dirty that they're gross, that they need to shape up or ship out, that God is frustrated at our lostness, that he's, that he's ticked off by our sin. And Jesus is in the context of a bunch of group of pe people just like us, and he tells these stories, and in it he gives us a huge clue about what God thinks about you and what God thinks about me. So we're going to do that. We've been in this sermon series called Sheepish and really just kind of launching off of Psalm 23. It's a really famous chapter in the, in the Old Testament. Um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, that, that passage. And we've just kind of been using that as a diving board. And so today we're going to diving board into this really famous parable that Jesus tells about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son slash sons. Um, and it's going to be really, really important for us. Um, it's important for you, maybe uh, it's important for all of us, because even if you don't picture God as being your shepherd or a good shepherd, here's what I know, here's what we all know, really, is that this affects all of us because you will be shepherded by something. We all will be shepherded by something. It's not a question of, of, of if, it's a question of what. We will be shepherded by something. If you're not shepherded by the good shepherd, you're going to be shepherded by your feelings. You're going to be shepherded by your past. You're going to be shepherded by your wounds. You're going to be shepherded by, your, by needing other people's approval or your parents' approval. You're going to be shepherded by, by your need to, to be liked by others. I mean, you, we will be shepherded by something. So why not come to the feet of Jesus and be shepherded by the good shepherd, the only shepherd that knows what it's like to be a sheep? That's where we've been these last bunch of weeks, um, and so we're going to charge ahead. Okay, so look, here's Luke chapter 15, and Jesus is going to do something really cool. He's, gonna he's redefining the sheep. He's redefining the search. 
He's redefining the shepherd and he's really redefining salvation. He's redefining the sheep, the search, the shepherd, and salvation. Four things that all start with the same letter. It's a very pastoral and Christian-y thing to do, all right? So I just laid it out for you really easy. Um, here it goes. I got to warn you. What Jesus is about to say is brilliant. It's penetrating. It's deep. It's humbling. Listen, this is Luke chapter 15. So now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. Here's what's fascinating is here's the tax collectors and the sinners, and they're all gathering around to hear Jesus. This is really, really informative for us because think, Jesus, remember, Jesus' gospel, his message wasn't you do you. It wasn't, uh, you know, how, whatever you want to do, that's fine. Just do it as long as you're sincere. Jesus' message wasn't like, hey, you know, just live however you want, and, you know, and I'm just going to be your biggest cheerleader. That wasn't Jesus' message at all. I mean, Jesus comes in and he's proclaiming there's a new way to live. These sinners and tax collectors knew that Jesus, that Jesus did, you know, wasn't, wasn't on board with their decisions, with the, way that they, the ways that they were living. But yet, yet, they wanted to be with Jesus. They wanted to be around him. This is incredible. Who can do this? In our culture today, if you disagree with someone, then they feel like that you're judging them. They don't want to be, you know, people don't want to be around other people who might, might disagree with them. But yet here's Jesus. We have so much to learn from Jesus because here's Jesus. And they knew that he disapproved, but they knew that he loved them, that he cared, and they're surrounding him. They, they want to be there. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. That's tremendous. There's another group of people that's there too, and it's the next group of people that are introduced. So the tax collectors and the sinners are all there listening to Jesus. And then verse 2, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So we've got the sort of like the, the sinners, the, the tax collectors, and the kind of like the run-of-the-mill sinners. And then we have the Pharisees, and they don't think they're sinners, Right? They're, they're frustrated that Jesus is hanging out with sinners and eating with sinners. And that culture, I mean, in our culture today, if you eat with people, um, it's a sign of camaraderie, you know. But back then, it was even more so. I mean, it was a huge statement that you would make if you were going to sit and share a meal with someone. And here's Jesus sharing a meal with prostitutes and tax collectors. And the Pharisees are so ticked off. <laughs> and what we have represented here are two worldviews. Two worldviews right in the beginning of this parable that Jesus is, that's in the crowd. The first group of people, the tax collectors and sinners, they don't, they're, they're not sure if they're loved by God because of their performance. They're not sure that they're, if they're, they're, they believe, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down, that they felt like they were counted out because of their performance. I mean, surely he can't love me because of what I've done and who I am. And, you know, maybe I'll just kind of get, I'll hear some nuggets of wisdom, but he couldn't, he couldn't really love me, could he? You've got that group of people. And then you've got the Pharisees. And they feel a little bit different. They feel like they're counted in because of their performance. They're like, man, we are so in. We are in the Jewish community and we're really good rule followers. And so we're counted in because of our performance. And if you'll notice, that's a performance-based system. Both of those worldviews are operating on a performance-based system. That God either will love me or not love me based on my performance, based on my past, based on what I've done. And Jesus is about to blow that whole thing out of the water. He's about to turn both of those worldviews completely upside down. 
complete, and he launches into this, into this, this, this trio of three parables. Now notice why he's launching, the re, he's, he's telling these parables in response to the Pharisees saying, I can't believe he hangs out with these sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus says, okay, I'll tell you a couple stories. Here you go. And then he goes on, he says this. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, sent off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I know what I'll do. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. You know, like when you're, when you're rehearsing a speech that you're going to give to somebody, you know, and you're kind of like playing it through in your head. This is what he's doing. He's like, okay, I'll go back and here's my speech. Here's what I'll say. And he, he's got to bring me back into the house. If I just twist his arm, I'll just I'll convince him to make me one of his servants. And so he got up and left. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. And they said, your brother has come. And he, uh, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. But the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, 
All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. That's the whole chapter of, of Luke 15. Um, remember I said Jesus, first thing he's going to do, he's going to redefine what it means to be a sheep. Um, we learn a couple things about the sheep here. First is we see this. We see that sheep get infinitely lost. Sheep get infinitely lost. Um, the sheep that, that Jesus is talking about, right? He's a part of the flock and then he starts to wander off and he gets lost. And then the shepherd has to go and find the sheep. And so we see there's always a progression when, when a sheep sort of leaves. And there's always a pro- the same sort of progression when it comes to us because we're just no different. We get lost easily. A couple weeks ago, we had the whole sermon and we talked about how one of the reasons why we wander is because we follow our appetites. And our appetites lead us often to places that we never wanted to go or expected to go. But there's a progression that happens. Is first, you see that the sheep leaves the shepherd first. The sheep leaves the shepherd. Uh, he wanders from the shepherd. And then next is the sheep wanders from the flock. And sometimes it happens in this order. Sometimes we kind of like say, you know, God, I don't want to have anything to do with you. And then the next step is it kind of, I start to isolate myself away from the community. So it starts with leaving the shepherd first, and then I sort of leave the flock behind. But sometimes it happens the opposite way. Sometimes, sometimes it's the community that I'm separated from first, and I kind of get outside, I kind of get by myself, and that's when I start to sort of dis, you know, distrust the shepherd, I stop believing in God. But what's for sure is this, is that sheep, however they wander, they typically wander, wander gradually. That's how sheep get lost. It doesn't happen like that. It happens gradually. Guys, this is so instructive for us. This is how it happens with us. And unless you see it happening, you're, it, you, unless, you, you, unless you understand kind of how it happens, then it's easy for it to happen so quick. But you and I, we tend, when we wander from God, it usually isn't just this like, I'm going to leave God. No, 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 it's... It's, it's a, it's a want, it happens slowly, it happens gradually. So for instance, for instance, one of the things that happens when we wander from God gradually is usually it starts with our behavior and then it moves into our theology. This is how it usually happens. Rarely do I meet anybody who was a Christian but now isn't who said, you know what, I was a Christian before, but then I, I read up, on, I studied some things, I looked into the philosophy behind stuff and I just decided, you know what, I just, I can't believe, I can't believe that anymore. Usually it, does, it doesn't happen that way at all. Usually it starts in, a, in just a much more kind of like under the surface way. It usually starts with, with my behavior and my behavior is, is I'm, I'm doing some things that I know I shouldn't be doing. And instead of changing that behavior or repenting as we'll, we'll get to in a second, instead of doing that, because that's harder, I'll just, be, I'll just change what I believe. It's much easier. Like for instance, if you believe lying is wrong and if you lie, guess how you're going to feel? You feel bad about lying. You feel guilty for lying. We should, you know, we, like we just all feel kind of convicted for lying. And it's not a good feeling. Nobody likes feeling that way. And so we can either stop lying or you know what I can start to do is this, this kind of dark, wicked thing starts to happen deep down where I say, well, maybe lying's not that bad. 
And, you know, this particular lie that I was telling, that's not bad because it's more like a white lie. And I'm kind of like telling the truth, but it's, you know, and then we start to play games. And then we start changing what we believe, changing what we believe, changing what we believe to pretty soon, I don't believe in God. You know, I just kind of want to do my own thing. It's, it's, it, it happened gradually. Here's another example. And this one's hits, you know, this one is kind of an obvious one. But here's how it happens gradually, too, is it starts with this. It starts with um, I'm, you know what? I'm just gonna have I'm just gonna have coffee with 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 that gal I'm not married to. I know I'm married over here, but you know, like I work with this gal at work, and uh, I'm just gonna get coffee. What's wrong with coffee? There's nothing wrong with coffee. Who who doesn't love coffee? Coffee's fine. Is it is it wrong for me to get coffee with her? No, it's fine. I'll just get coffee with her. And then we get coffee, and then it's like, you know, but I'm like, but maybe um, maybe we'll get a drink after work. That's what we'll do. We'll get a drink after work. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm coming home on time. You know, everything's fine. And then it's and then it's uh, but you know, and then I'm gonna share like, man, things are going on at home that are kind of frustrating me, and like, I need some advice. So I'm gonna ask her for some advice, and she'll give me some good. Is there anything wrong with getting advice? I know that there's some scripture verses about getting advice, so it's totally fine. You know, so I'll just get some advice from her, and then she'll give me some advice. Slowly, 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 it turns into more drinks after work. It turns into sharing more personal stuff from home. It turns into she really gets me. My wife at home doesn't get me, but she really gets me. She really understands me. And then it turns into the next thing. It turns into the next thing. And I don't even need to tell you where this story leads because you know exactly where it leads because it's typical of where it leads. And you know how it happened? It didn't happen just like, you know, one did like overnight, just super quick. It happened slowly. And that's how sheep wander. That's how I wander. And that's how you wander. It's important for us to understand how sheep wander. There's something that we learn about sheepness when Jesus is talking here. But there's another thing we learn about sheep, and you can't miss this. The other thing that we learn about sheep is Jesus is redefining what it means to be lost. He's redefining what it means to be lost. Because, see, the sheep that wandered knows it's lost. Okay? It's obvious that it's lost. The coin that, that can't be found, it knows it's lost. The, the younger brother who's, who's, like, squandered his wealth, he's, he's, he's so hungry he's going to eat from the pig's feeding trough. I mean, it's, it's obvious he has lost his way. He knows it. That kind of lostness is obvious. It's a real kind of lostness, but it's also a very obvious kind of lostness. And do you see what Jesus, Jesus is doing something so brilliant in this passage, and he does it throughout his whole ministry, is he keeps talking with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are so frustrated that Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And what the Pharisees keep failing to see is they're, they're just as lost as anyone else. The Pharisees can't see their own lostness because they're lost in their goodness. See how dangerous this is? They look at everybody else who's doing bad stuff and they're like, oh, those are the lost people. But no, me, I'm good. I haven't done bad things. But what they fail to see is that they've done those good things for all the wrong motives and it's turned their hearts ugly. 
and they are just as lost as anyone else. And here's Jesus saying, guys, can't we be thrilled? Can't we throw a party that these tax collectors and sinners want to hang out with me? Like, this is good news. Like, this is good, guys, but they can't get behind it. They're so frustrated. They can't have joy because lost people are coming to him. And the reason why that they can't see it is because they don't see their loss themselves. They don't see their own lostness. And Jesus is doing something so brilliant here. Notice that these parables are just as much about the 99 sheep, the nine coins, and the older brother as it is about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the younger brother. In fact, you could argue that all three of these parables are all talking to the 99 sheep, the nine coins, and the older brother. Because the Pharisees are sitting there and Jesus is saying, don't you see? Can you see? Do you have eyes to see that you need me just as much as anyone else does? And you need to be saved from your good works as much as anybody needs to be saved from your bad works. Do you get what I'm going at here? Good works are good. That's, we're, not, we're not speaking against good works. But when the motive of the good works is trying to use God and trying to be in control of your life, that's that's sin. It turns you ugly and upside down. And guys, I, I speak, like, whenever I get on sermons where I get to this point, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir because I'm speaking from my experience because I admittedly am an older brother. I, I haven't gone through seasons in my life where I rebelled like the younger brother did, but I've got a rebellious heart deep on the inside because of my elder brotherness, because of my 99 sheepness. Because look at me, I stayed at home. Aren't I so great? And that's been a plague to me. And it's had to be worked out of me slowly but surely through just coming to grips with the grace that Jesus gives. The parable that did it for me was there's elsewhere where Jesus tells a similar parable, and I'll just paraphrase it, but he tells this beautiful parable where he says, hey, there's two people, there's two guys. And one guy owes the moneylender a million dollars, and the other guy owes the moneylender a hundred dollars. The king comes in, cancels both of the debts. Which one is more thankful? Which one is filled with gratitude? And the person that he's asking the parable to says, well, it's obviously the person that owes a million. They're more thankful. And Jesus says, you're absolutely right. And Jesus says, listen, he who is forgiven little loves little. But he who is forgiven much loves much. And Jesus is trying to say something here. He's not trying to say that some people are forgiven little and other people are forgiven much. He's trying to say that can't you see that all of us have been forgiven much? All of us have. And when you lose sight of that, like the Pharisees do and like the Pharisees are doing here, then you won't have joy. You'll be frustrated when God's given grace to others because you can't see the grace that God's given you. If you feel like you've just been forgiven a hundred bucks, then your response to God is going to be like a high five. Thanks, Jesus. See you next Sunday. But when you know you've been forgiven a billion dollars, you fall on your knees. You worship. You're grateful. You're thankful. Your love for God and your love for others is big, is big. Jesus is redefining what it means to be a sheep. And it's beautiful, and it's penetrating, and it's hard. Next is this. He's redefining the search. Because hope is not lost. Because even though I'm infinitely lost, I'm infinitely loved and valued. 
That's the message of this parable. Is I'm infinitely lost. You're infinitely lost, and but yet there's still hope because you are infinitely loved and valued. Just look at how look at how uh, the the shepherd and the the woman in the story and the father look how they pursue. The, 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 the shepherd could have hired somebody, you know, to go out and find the sheep, right? Like, here's a couple bones, you know, go out, find my lost sheep, that dirty, rotten sheep. You know, kick them a few times when you bring them in back to the, to the herd, you know? Like, God could, you know, the shepherd could have done that. But what is this? No, he, I'm going to go myself. Get that sheep. Put, you know, a sheep could be like upward of 100 pounds. Who knows how far they've wandered, miles and miles. The shepherd puts that sheep on the shoulders and just trudges home. Why? Because I care. Because I care. You lose a coin, call the neighbor. I don't know if anybody calls the neighbors when you lose your coin, but this lady really cares about this coin, right? She's, she's having a party at like three in the morning because she found her lost coin. She cares about this coin. The father with the two sons runs out to the younger son. He sees him coming from a long way off and he runs. You know what this father, you know, you know what probably everybody in the town would say about this father? They'd say he was a wuss. They would say he's a wimp. Like, you're going you're gonna to bring your son back after he's done all this stuff? Like, come on, where's your standards? Like, where's your discipline? Like, you got to punish him, you know? This shepherd, the, you know, this father is willing, to, is willing to go to the ends of the earth. He's willing to have the whole village say whatever. He doesn't care because he cares about his son. That's how much God cares. How much does God care about you? How much does he value you? I'll tell you how much he values you. He went to the ends of the earth for you. He loves you. He cares about you. That's how you know he loves you, is he searched for you. And he's not out for revenge. You know what he's out for? Restoration. He's not out for revenge. He's out for restoration. Look what he does. He doesn't go and he doesn't... You know, you don't beat the sheep when it's out there. You know, you don't, like, get angry at the coin. The father isn't, you know, chastising the son. But no, they go out and they restore, restore, restore. That's God's heart for you. Next is Jesus is redefining the shepherd. Because here's the shepherd who, man, he loves forgiving. He delights in finding. He rejoices in the fact that the lost are being restored. That's the kind of God we have. I don't know what kind of God you picture. Maybe you picture a God who loves pointing fingers. Maybe you picture a God who rejoices in the fact that sinners are getting justice. I don't know, I don't know sort of what your picture of him is, but would you be willing to have the eyes that Jesus wants us to have in this passage of a God who loves you so much? He rejoices in restoring lost people. Next is he's redefining salvation. Because there's a word that happens here that is a really difficult word for us to swallow. It's, he's, he's using the word repentance. In fact, hold on, I'll, I kind of jumped ahead. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna, I, wanna, I wanna bring us to a close with some like action points. What do we need? What do we need from this passage of scripture? Uh, a couple things is first, we need the initiating love of the father. That's the first thing we need. You need to see the father who's initiated love with you. You don't have to grovel when you come back to him because he knows you already. He knows and he loves you and he cares about you and you can come to him. We need the initiating love of the Father. Next is we need solid community. We need solid community. Notice that when the sheep and the coin and the son were reconciled back to the Father, what happened next? The next invitation is welcome back into the group, right? 
the, the sheep wasn't coming back singing, just the two of us. We can make it if we try, just the two of us. You know, right? They're coming back, and it's not just like, now I have a relationship with the shepherd, and that's all I need. No, no, no. They're coming back, and they need community. They're, it they're introducing them back into the family. You need solid community around you. One of the best ways for you not to wander is you surround people around you that can, that can know your wanderingness can sense that about you and can ask you questions and can be a part of the community with you. You need solid community. All of us do. Next is we need to respond with true repentance. It's this R word that is like, is a really tough word for us. Whenever in our culture, whenever you see the word repent, it's usually like written on a sign and somebody's like picketing something. It's usually on TV and it's usually like an angry thing and it says repent. But guys, this is a beautiful word. Repentance is a beautiful word. All repentance is, not all it is, it's, it's, it's everything, but, but really it's simple. Is all repentance is, is it's me acknowledging that I'm lost, I'm a sheep, I need to be rescued, and that the thing that's going to rescue me isn't my performance, but it's going to be his grace. That's going to be the thing that brings me home. And because that truth melts me, repentance means is I start the process of having the courage to transform because out of, out of response for God's grace for me. That's what repentance means. And so we need to repent as Christ followers. We need to come back. We need to receive his grace. We need to come back into the group. That's what repentance is all pointing to. We have to be careful that we don't do false repentance because there's a distinction that the scriptures make about what is true repentance and what's worldly sorrow. See, true repentance means that I'm sorry, I'm grieved by my sin, and I'm not just bummed that I have to walk through the consequences of my sin. That's called worldly sorrow. Just being sorry that I I've, I've, have consequences of my sin um, isn't true repentance. That won't change my heart. It won't go deep enough. The other thing about true repentance is we have to learn as Christ followers how to repent for not just actions, but for motives. Not just actions, but for motives. Because the younger son, he had a list of things that he could repent from. No more prostitutes, no more drinking, no more you know, spending other people's money no more stealing. You know, like he had a list of actions that it was kind of obvious that he could repent from. But there's another list of things that we need to learn to repent of that is less obvious. And it's for those elder brothers in the room. It's for us, us, us people who have a tendency to see ourselves as not, uh, as, as, you know, we're, we're, we're good. You know, we're, we've been in church. We're, we're okay. You know, I'm not like a sinner like those other people. That will kill us. That will kill us. It will slowly kill you if you do that. We need to learn to repent of not only the things that we've done wrong, but we need to repent of some of the reasons why we've done right. That was a good one. That was really good. Because there's some of the reasons why we've done right, that we've done right things for all the wrong motives, for sinful motives. And so we need to repent of even our motives as well. Wow, that's the kind of repentance that will go deep. That'll go deep. Uh, and then lastly, lastly is we need to join the party. We need to join the party. You know what strikes me about these stories is, is um, it seems at the end of Jesus' parable that he tells is that everybody gets to go to the party except we're not sure about the older brother. The sheep comes home to a big celebration the coin comes home to a big celebration. The younger son comes home to a big party. 
And the only one we're left wondering if they joined the party was the older brother. You notice that it leaves us with a cliffhanger? It doesn't tell us. The, it, the story stops right there, and the father's out in the field pleading with his son, come into the party. Son, can you hear the music? Like, I've been to some parties, and when you can hear a party from, like, across a field, you know it's a good party. I mean, it's a good party, and the dad's out there saying, son, son, like, there's a party, and it's for your brother, but, like, it's for you, too. You're invited to the party. Come home. I mean, like, I've, I've dad threw some hard cash at a band, all right? Daddy didn't roll out the boxed wine. Dad rolled out, like, the good wine. You know, dad, dad has, daddy, daddy put together an awesome party, and it's for you, too. Will you come into the party? And we're not sure if the older brother is willing, has the humility to come into the party. Guys, the good news is that the gospel tells you and me that you have been invited to the party. And it is not based on your performance or good works. It's all because of his grace. Will you join the party? This is why religion has nothing on the gospel. The gospel is always good news. We have a good shepherd who's willing to fight for you, to search for you, to grab you, to never leave you, to never give up on you, and to bring you home because he loves you and he cares for you and he's got a party for you. Will you join the party? I hope you do. I want you to. I want you to.